Hey everyone, welcome back to Quinia Questions in Quarantine. So with the changing dynamics of each chapter and both our tonal and topic shifts, today's episode will be a little different from the last few. Today we have chapter 16 of Meglin, where we get our first longer form fleshed out story in a while. So this story will focus on a few truly new characters, including one who was born during this chapter, as well as focus on one of our last episode's chief characters, Turgen and Gondolin. But before we do that, here's a word from our sponsor. Nothing good on Netflix lately? Well, that's about to change. This fall, tune in for Hollywood's latest story of forbidden love. Meet Maglin, a poor boy from the forest. He's got an overbearing dad, but he's smart, he's skilled, and he's working hard to fit in. And meet Idril. She's a princess from the best castle around, and she can just light up a room. It's a classic tale of boy meets girl, and Meglin is ready to make his move. There's only one problem. They're, they're cousins. Oh, and, and Idril doesn't like him at all. Well, that's just going to be problematic. Why would we make this movie? It's question time. And here's Sam. Welcome back, everyone. So can you uh, walk us through last episode, Sam? It's been a a couple weeks here and would love to uh, get everyone back into the swing of things. Yeah, absolutely. Last time we had of the Noldor in Beleriand. And during this chapter, a couple of important things happened. One is a focus on this character Turgon, who is one of the sons of Fingolfin, the warrior leader of the Noldor in Middle-earth at this time, and Turgon, knowing that darkness is coming at some point from Morgoth and his evil forces, builds a hidden city, Gondolin, in this mountain range right outside of Morgoth's kingdom and out of Morgoth's sight, kind of behind enemy lines. He builds this hidden city, takes a bunch of the Noldor, a bunch of the Sindar, which are the other elves, in this part of the world, and they hide away for hundreds of years in this beautiful, beautiful city called Gondolin, which is sort of like the city that they once had in Valinor. And they're basically checking out of the rest of Middle-earth for this time. They're just going to hang out in the hidden kingdom of Gondolin and do things like make beautiful art, make some beautiful weapons. We talked about Glamdring, the sword that Gandalf ends up with, as well as Orcris, Thorin's sword, and possibly Sting, the sword from The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit that Bilbo and Frodo wield. And so we have Turgon doing his thing over there. We also have Galadriel, who we finally get a little more information about, even though she has been around for a very long time in the story ever since the elves were in Valinor. Galadriel in this chapter kind of gets the rest of the Noldor in trouble because she spills the beans about the naughty things that the Noldor have done in the past, especially the kinslaying where the Noldor elves killed the Ron Weasley Teleri elves, stole their ships, used their ships to get back to Middle-earth, and then burned those beautiful, beautiful ships. So partially because of what Galadriel tells Melian about the Silmarils, partially because of mean girl Morgoth spreading his rumors as always, all the cards get on the table. 
Thingol and Melian, this power couple who never left Middle-earth. They learn about all the bad things the Noldor have done, and it really causes this schism between the two peoples. Thingol hates Morgoth as well, but he is not happy with the Noldor, who essentially have killed his kin, because remember, Thingol was one of these Teleri elves way back long ago. So he's not very happy, and the chapter sort of ends with Thingol laying down a very J.R.R. Tolkien punishment on the Noldor, which I thought you um, enjoyed quite a bit, Raleigh, which was the you can no longer speak Quenya, the high elven Noldoran language. In my kingdom, you will only speak Sindarin, which is the language of the elves who didn't go over to Valinor which to us didn't seem like that big a deal, but the way it's treated in the story is if this is like the real ban hammer coming down and the Noldor really turn tail and have to run away and Thingol's okay with some of the Noldor. He really is mad at the sons of Feanor, who are the worst of the worst in terms of they are driven by this oath to get the Silmarils back. They're pretty like single-minded and not going to let anybody stand in their way. And Thingol's worried about that. So just some tension among the elves and Morgoth really didn't have to do anything to make that happen. Like everything is kind of helping out Morgoth and all he's doing is spreading rumors and hanging out in his stronghold and just chilling and letting the elves kind of tear themselves apart. Yeah, that's always been his best skill, just letting others do the dirty work for him. It really is true and an interesting way to think about this like most powerful god villain of the story. His greatest power is actually his ability to just manipulate the minds and emotions of the quote unquote good characters and let them wreck evil among themselves. But anyway, that's the Noldor and Beleriand. That's kind of like a chapter from, you know, a mile high view looking at the whole world. What's great about this chapter of Maeglin is that we're going to zoom way down again and talk about just a few characters, as you mentioned. So I'll let you just jump into the Raleigh recap about who are these key elves? What are they doing in this chapter? Yeah, yeah, sounds great. So as you mentioned, we're going to really zoom in on the uh, the nitty gritty details here of this small group of elves, many of which we've never heard of before. So it starts off with Arathel of Gondolin. So we're already off knowing that we're going to have a focus on Gondolin here in this chapter. But Arathel grows weary of living in the Hidden Valley and desires to leave the city and see the rest of the world. So at first, Turgon forbids her from leaving, uh, wanting to protect Gondolin's secrecy and also just to protect her. But eventually he allows her to travel to Fingon in Hithlum with the three guards. And so Arathel, however, has other plans, wishing to find and reunite with the sons of Feanor. And so if you remember in our grids, Gondolin is in the middle section. Hithlum is in the middle left section. And then the sons are in the middle right section. So she's actually going to be going in the opposite direction of what she tells Turgon. Yes, and Morgoth has the top three squares if we're thinking about this tic-tac-toe board. So she kind of she's in the very middle of the tic-tac-toe board. She tells Turgon, let me go. I'm going to go left and hang out with our buds. But instead, she goes right and heads east to the Sons of Feanor. It really gives not just Turgon, who stays in Gondolin, he's not going to leave, but also her guards the real slip to uh, explore the world a little bit. Yeah, gives them a real curveball, if you will. Anyway, when they reach Doriath, hoping to pass through the girdle of Melian's safety, they're denied entry 
and so must head north along the haunted valley of Arid Gorgoroth. And so they're denied entry based on what Sam has told us previously. You know, they're not Sindar elves, so they're just not welcome in Doriath at this time. And so in the haunted valley of Arid Gorgoroth, Arathel becomes separated from the guards and is lost. However, she survives and eventually finds the elves she's seeking. So she finds the people of the sons of Fanor. But the actual sons are away. So after about a year, she gets tired of waiting for their return. She would love to hang out with the sons of Fanor, but she's not there to chill with their peoples as much. She waits there for about a year and then wanders off into the forest of Nan Elmoth. But here in this forest, she's captured by Aeol, who's a dark elf who has shunned Fingal and the Noldor, but has become friends with the dwarves. So he's not a total loner. So she spends a lot of time here with Aeol, and the relationship becomes extremely abusive, with Aeol essentially locking up Arathel and imprisoning her. However, they do have a son named Maeglin, and thus the name of our chapter of Maeglin. So the son will then be the focus of the rest of this chapter. And Arathel loves her son and tells him stories of Gondolin and of the Noldor. And Maeglin, as you might assume, uh, wishes to see the Noldor and meet them, but Aeol strongly forbids this. And here we have our first quote of the chapter that we'll uh, begin discussing a bit more. This is from Aeol. You are of the house of Aeol, Maeglin, my son, he said, and not of the Golodrim. All this land is the land of the Teleri, and I will not deal nor have my son deal with the slayers of our kin, the invaders and usurpers of our homes. In this you shall obey me, or I will set you in bonds." So here we have Aeol just laying out everything for Maeglin. It's almost like a nice, easy uh, puzzle cue, if you will. Like We know why Aeol hates the, the Noldor. It's all a result of the Teleri and what Sam talked about in the summary. And you also see how he's rather evil in his heart. If his son wants to leave the land and go explore, similar to what his mother did, then he will just lock up his son and keep him imprisoned. Yeah, well said, Raleigh. And I love the quote you picked because it's so dark and mean from Aeol, and it's super in keeping with his character. I mean, Aeol really is an Aeol for a good part of this chapter. <laughs> he's very, you know, he is called the Dark Elf. And the reason he's called a Dark Elf is because he shuns the sunlight. He only hides in this really dark forest where he has taken Arathel, the White Lady of Gondolin, and they have the sun. Maeglin. Couple of interesting points just on that first part of the chapter. One is just about this idea that Arathel, this sister of Turgon, the king of Gondolin, wants to leave Gondolin, which kind of is the best spot in the land at this point. It's this beautiful city hidden from danger. It's a great place to be. And I think it's interesting how Arathel's wanting to leave and explore and take control of her own destiny mirrors a little bit the experience of the entire Noldor people, right? Remember that they were in Valinor where everything was groovy and the living was easy. They got to hang out with the gods. They had their feasts. There was music, you know. Valinor was a pretty sweet place to be. Obviously, there was the chaos caused by Morgoth and Ungoliant where they killed the trees, but... 
Still is a pretty great place to be, but the Noldor wanted to seize their own destiny, and so they left Valinor for Middle-earth, and now they're in Beleriand, this part of Middle-earth where the story takes place. And Arithel's kind of in the same spot, right? She's in Gondolin, the beautiful city similar to Valinor, but she still is not satisfied. It's kind of a grass is always greener. It may be easy to live here, but I'm not fulfilled. And so she bails out of there. And she has her own little adventures, but gets ensnared by Aeol, this dark elf, who, as you said, is another kinsman of Thingol and the Teleri, but he's like a classic hermit, right? Like he's a guy who lives in the woods by himself. He only comes out at night. He doesn't have dealings with the other elves, although he probably has the closest relationship with the dwarves of any elf during this time period and from the dwarves he learns tricks of the trade about mining and crafting that perhaps the other elves don't have and that interest passes along to his son Maglin. and the reason i wanted to highlight that is just because later on aeol is going to be known as the creator of a couple very famous weapons oh interesting what's kind of interesting is he hates the noldor for what they've done to him, but in his heart, he kind of is a Noldor and that he wants to like make all these weapons, likes to work with the dwarves. That's a great point. Yeah. Just like the Noldor, remember, they like hanging out with Aule, our foreman of the Arda Corporation, the Valar who likes mining and gem crafting, stuff like that. Aeol definitely does share that interest, right? Like he's into building stuff. He, in fact, invents this new material called Galvorn to make weapons and armor with. So maybe like, who knows, maybe he and Arithel, who is a Noldor, Maybe they bonded about that a little bit, but definitely it's not a good relationship. Aeol won't let Arithel leave and they have this son together, Maeglin. And then as that quote showed, Aeol is not going to let either of them get out of his sight. And I will just say in our first introduction to Maeglin, he really is this hybrid of his parents. You know, if we have Aeol, the Dark Elf, and we have Arithel, the White Lady of the Noldor. We have this light and dark dynamic that's playing out in this child, Maeglin, who is raised in the Dark Forest, but he has this Noldorian ancestry. He's also interested in mining and crafting like his dad, but he also really wants to go check out Gondolin because his mom's telling him stories, and I think she's feeling a little regretful of leaving at this point because she basically left a sweet gig and now is stuck in the dark forest with her strange husband. And so Maglin is tugged in a couple of different directions. I think that's what makes him a interesting character. Yeah. Yeah. So do we uh, do we know that Arithel is the only elf to leave Gondolin at this point? I believe we do, other than her guards who only left because... They were supposed to escort her, and they did a terrible job of that because she loses them immediately <laughs> in that haunted valley, arid Gorgoroth. And just as a quick shout out, the reason that that place is haunted is because that's where Ungoliant is hanging out. 
the spider-like demon who sucked the trees dry with Morgoth. Ungoliant's in this like mountain pass called Eridgorgoroth, and everything in that valley is tainted by the evil Ungoliant Juju, and that's why the guards lose her, and presumably like the guards just go back to Gondolin and say, well, we lost her, and that's kind of the last we hear from them. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know it did mention that they went back and told Turgon that they'd lost her, and then he was grieved or, right. or saddened because they assumed that she was dead. But the key being, yes, that Aerithel's the only one to leave. And this is important for a couple of reasons. One, she's just a very important Noldor elf, right? This sister of Turgon, who's the king of Gondolin and the son of the high king of the Noldor. Also, Gondolin is not the best defended city. Its secret sauce is just that Morgoth doesn't know where it is. So if anybody leaves Gondolin and then gets captured by Morgoth, and gives up the secret passage that's curtains for Gondolin. So Turgon is extremely protective of the information about how to get in and out of the city. And that's why nobody gets to leave. And only really somebody as important as his sister can convince him to let them go. That's an interesting parallel you bring up, Raleigh, because that's kind of like Aeol also, right? Like Arathel has to go from her super protective brother who doesn't want to let her leave and then she finally does get to leave and she's immediately captured by Aeol, another super protective elf who won't let her leave. She just wants to be free and can never, uh, never find a man to let her do it. Yeah, it's a tragic tale a little bit. She has a fiery spirit and she wants to be free and just ends up being passed from one possessive male figure in her life to another. But that brings us back to our story, Raleigh, because... Once again, she's in this dark forest with Aeol, but she is committed to find her freedom once again. Yeah, exactly. So as we mentioned, Aeol is great friends with the dwarves. And so one day the dwarves have a feast and invite Aeol. And so while Aeol is gone, Arathel and Maeglin escape. And so as you imagine, when Aeol comes back, he's uh, pretty peeved and so hunts down after them. But he himself is captured by the sons of Feanor. So Arathel never got to meet the sons of Feanor again, but Aeol does. So kind of a, <laughs> a bummer for her. And for Aeol as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they set him free, but only after the sons issue him a decree. And they say, Do not flaunt the title of your wife before me, Kurifin said. And Kurifin is one of the, the sons of Feanor. For those who steal the daughters of the Noldor and wed them without gift or leave, do not gain kinship with their kin. I have given you leave to go. Take it and be gone. By the laws of the Eldor, I may not slay you at this time. In this council, I add, return now to your dwelling in the darkness of Nan Elmoth. For my heart warns me that if you now pursue those who love you no more, never will you return thither. Yeah, dark words from Kurofin, one of these sons of Feanor, who are extremely unfriendly to Aeol and most of the non-Noldor that they meet. And we'll note that that is a signature of the sons of Feanor. They can be quite haughty. Remember that they're sons of Feanor, who was the craftiest of the Noldor, but is the one who swore the terrible oath along with all these sons. And so their single-minded purpose is to get the Silmarils back no matter who stands in their way, be they Morgoth or any other elf, so they can be real jerks to Aeol or any other elf that they come across. But also dark words there about 
if you keep tracking Arithel and Maeglin who have run off, it's not going to turn out well for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, of course, he keeps tracking them. <laughs> Aeol disregards this threat and sought after Arithel and Maeglin. And although he was unable to catch them, he did find them as they approached the secret path to Gondolin. And so he sees Arithel and Maeglin enter Gondolin, and then Aeol follows them on the same path as well. So now somebody who has been outside Gondolin finally knows how to enter to the secret lair. Exactly, which was the thing that Turgon was afraid about the whole time. And Aerithel was trying to be very careful when she brought her son back to Gondolin, but she just didn't know that Aeol was tracking them. So she inadvertently gives it up and he's able to get into the hidden valley where Gondolin is as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Although he is immediately captured by Turgon's guards who are keeping a pretty close watch on that secret passage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Arithel and Maeglin are welcomed in Gondolin, and everyone's excited to see that Arithel is still alive and welcome Maeglin with open arms. Mm -hmm. And although Aeol is captured by the Gondolin guard, he's brought before Turgon so that he can decide his fate. And Aeol doesn't care that Arithel stays in Gondolin. Once once he lost her from uh, the capture, she was dead to him. But he does want his son back. However, Turgon forbids anyone to leave. So he gives Aeol the option to stay in Gondolin, which all things considered is a pretty good offer, if you ask me. Well, especially because Aeol didn't let Arithel leave. Like at worst case, Turgon is offering Aeol the same deal that Aeol had given to his wife and son for so long. Like yeah. you're going to be safe in Gondolin, but now you know the secret way here. Your son's going to be here. Your wife's going to be here. You can't leave. Yeah, well, the other option is death, so. Right. But Aeol, however, um, chooses another path, as we, uh, we probably would have guessed, knowing his background here. So he takes a javelin and throws it at Maeglin, trying to kill him. If he can't get a son, then nobody can get a son. However, Arithel jumps in the path, saving her son, but unfortunately dies the night after because the javelin was poisoned and then Aeol was killed. Yeah, it's a real tragic turn at the end of this, of Maeglin chapter. As you said, Turgon was trying to be generous, but Aeol is uncompromising. He says, I'm going to take my son and I'm going to leave Gondolin. And if I can't do that, then you don't get to have Maeglin, my son. So yeah, he throws a spear at him. Aerithil takes the blow and dies. It wasn't Aeol's intention, but he has just killed his wife and the sister of the King of Gondolin and then is put to death by being tossed over a precipice on like the parapets of Gondolin. So there goes Aeol, our dark elf hermit. But it does leave then at the end of the chapter Maeglin, without a mother or a father, in a city he doesn't know, but he's welcomed by Turgon, the king of Gondolin, who is his uncle and can live in Gondolin. So a mixed bag for him. I don't have like a big key passage this time from the Lord of the Rings for this chapter, but I do want to know a very important theme from this little tragic ending that echoes in the Lord of the Rings story, and it's about fathers and sons. 
which is a big theme of this chapter with Aeol, the Dark Elf, and Maeglin, this kind of twilight son of his. Three times in the chapter, it says that Maeglin stood by and said nothing, basically. First, Aeol says, son, will you leave with me from Gondolin? And Maeglin says nothing. Then Maeglin says nothing when Aeol is going to be put to death. He really kind of just lets his dad be murdered and doesn't do anything about it. And his dad was a problematic character. Aeol is not a great guy. But we get the sense in the story that this is not what Maeglin should have done. He should have in some way engaged with the fate of his father, maybe talked to Turgon about it, etc. And the part of The Lord of the Rings that makes me think about is the father-son relationship between Denethor, the steward of Gondor, and Faramir his second son, who he loves much less than Boromir, his firstborn. And fans of the Peter Jackson movies, they really play upon this favoritism. Denethor loves Boromir. He's always putting down Faramir. But they have a really interesting relationship. And in that story, remember, Denethor sends Faramir on basically a suicide mission to take back Osgiliath the city. And in the movie, this is the part where like Pippin is singing his song and the writers are writing and then they all just get like obliterated by arrows. But the key there is one, the son honors the wishes of the father, right? Like Denethor gives him this mission, but Faramir's like, I know this is stupid. I'm really hurt because you would ask me to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And then, of course, Faramir is nearly killed and Denethor realizes that he really does love his son. And this is what drives him mad. And he tries to burn them alive. And the key moment there is when Pippin and Gandalf come to rescue Faramir from the burning pyre. Remember, Denethor is like crazy and he yells at Pippin like, you will not take my son from me. Aeol has a very similar moment in our Of Maeglin chapter, right? He says, you will not take my son from me. And Maeglin stands by and does nothing. Two fraught relationships between fathers and sons. But in the Lord of the Rings story, we really love Faramir for sticking with his country and his father through this struggle. Maeglin just doesn't really like engage on an emotional level in the way that we might want him to. Yeah, I guess he was stunted emotionally as a baby being stuck in a jail basically for those formative years and really had no ties whatsoever to his father because of that. Yeah. And in fact, it says Aeol doesn't even give Maeglin a name until he turns 12. But I still think in this story, we get this impression that Maeglin's willingness to let his father be killed kind of shows his lack of attachment or his willingness to kind of put his own interests ahead of his family. And of course, family extremely important for all of these elves who are really connected about their kindreds and their lineage and their ancestors, etc. But moving on from that, where do we end this chapter? Well, we have Maeglin again, kind of on his own, but taken in by the people of Gondolin in this hidden city. Yeah. So, um, he basically has become the, uh, the new son of Gondolin and Maeglin grows up um, as one of the finest Gondolinderims. I don't know if that's the, the right name for someone from Gondolin, but yeah, I think uh, they call them the Golo dream Oh, the Golo term Golo dream Golo dream. But anyway, Maeglin's crushing it. <laughs> Long story short. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he becomes a great craftsman, becomes a great warrior, just like the Noldor. 
So he's basically become everything his father hated uh, that he would become. However, he is rather unhappy. For deep inside, he desires Idril. So this is another character who is introduced. Idril is Turgon's daughter. And thus it is Meglin's cousin. And so to finish the recap here, we have a quote about this relationship. For from his first days in Gondolin, he had borne a great grief ever worsening that robbed him of all joy. He loved the beauty of Idril and desired her without hope. The elder wedded not with kin so near, nor ever before had any desired to do so. And however that might be, Idril loved Maglin not at all. And knowing his thought of her, she loved him the less. For it seemed to her a strange thing and crooked in him, as indeed the elder ever since had deemed it an evil fruit of the kinslaying, whereby the shadow of the curse of Mandos fell upon the last hope of the Noldor. But as the years passed still, Maglin watched Idril and waited, and his love turned to darkness in his heart, and he sought the more to have his will in other matters, shirking no toil or burden, if he might thereby have power. And thus it was in Gondolin, and amid all the bliss of that realm, while its glory lasted, a dark seed of evil was sown. Yeah, and that's how we end the chapter. Another real downer at an end of the chapter from the <laughs> yeah. uh, Tolkien's for us here. You know, I think Meglin has this really tragic story. He has a really tough upbringing. He finally gets to Gondolin, but then his mother is killed. His father's executed. He's on the up and up, but he has this forbidden love for his cousin, Idril, who is the daughter of the King Turgon. And that's going to lead to all kinds of problems because it's like you can't marry your cousin and she doesn't even like you. And so everything else you do to like get powerful and great is good. But this is going to be problematic and it's just going to sit and stew for hundreds of years because that's how the elves <laughs> do their thing. And nobody can leave Gondolin. So there's no easy solution for this. And here we have, of course, the doom of Mandos coming back in yes, the, exactly. the words from our future forecaster Valar saying that all of the works that the Noldor do are going to turn to evil and work against them because of the kinslaying and because of their abandonment of the gods. And so, as you said, yeah, dark seed of evil hanging out in Gondolin, even though everything else seems to be going well. So we're going to have to kind of keep our eye on Meglin and Idril and Turgon and see how that all plays out. It's kind of like a poison pill right in the middle of what should be a very idyllic place. Yeah, so Meglin uh, was just worn into the wrong uh, family here. He should have been a Habsburg and then all his dreams could have come true. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. What's sad about Meglin is that he clearly is extremely gifted. He has both his father's knowledge of mining and craftsmanship, which he learned from the dwarves, and he gives that to the Noldor in Gondolin, and they learn a bunch from him. It says he's happy to like go to war when he needs to and fight alongside Turgon. He's very brave. He's got a lot going for him. But he just has this darkness in his heart. That's the love for his cousin, Idril. It's like he could have been great if just circumstances were a little bit different. 
Well, coming out of that downer once again for a QQQ chapter, let me quickly preview next chapter, which is of the coming of men into the West. So we're going to switch gears yet again. We're going to leave the poison pill and the happenings in Gondolin and instead go back to the men who awoke a few chapters ago, but we really haven't touched on too much. And what I like about the next chapter is this nice parallel we're going to have where, remember, the men woke up way in the east of Middle Earth, kind of like the elves did in the long, long ago, and they are making their way west just like the elves did. But this time, instead of the elves who met the Valar, the men are going to run into the elves who are inhabiting the western part of Middle-earth. And the elves serve as that enlightening presence to the men, kind of like the Valar did to the elves. So we get this first relationship between men and elves, which is kind of exciting. We also, of course, have mean girl Morgoth getting back to his dastardly, rumorous ways in a big, big way. And we're going to find out that the men prove very easy prey for the rumors of Morgoth. Stay tuned for that next time on Quenu Questions in Quarantine. See you, Sam. See you, bud. Thank you.